0: Hello everyone on Facebook, my name is Fauzi and you are watching Off The Record. Now Off The Record is our weekly live show during Phase 2 Heightened Alert happening every Saturday at 8pm where we invite guests to answer your questions about COVID-19 and any other related concerns you might have. Now but before we any go, go, any, go any further, do us a favour and give us a like if you enjoyed this video and remember to share the link to our, to our show with everyone you know on social media. And you might notice there is a box on the bottom right of your screen, right, for you to submit a short sentence of encouragement for students struggling in this pandemic. I think it'll be a nice little touch for you to send them some virtual positive vibes, so all the instructions on how you can do so can be found at the bottom of your screen. All right, in the last couple of weeks, my dear friend John spoke to Dr. Leong Honam, an infectious disease specialist, as well as Charlene and Jocelyn, who talked about the hawker situation in Singapore amidst this pandemic. If you missed that, feel free to check out the recordings after this episode. But today, we have two very special guests to talk about the recently rolled out vaccination exercise for students and the efficacy of the vaccine for them. First, it is my extreme pleasure to welcome Minister of State Education, Social and Family Development, Ms Sun Chueling. Hi. Thank you very much for being here with us tonight.
1: Hi, everyone. Hi, Foxy. All
0: right. To get this evening started, I have a list of questions that you can help us address. So are you ready? Yes. Fantastic. Let us get started. All right. Now, the first set of questions is about home-based learning. Mm. All right. Uh, The first question is, are schools now more equipped to move to a full home-based learning quickly? And how can we make it better for teachers and students?
1: I think when we had the Circuit Breaker last year, and there was this onslaught, basically, and all these concerns about um, COVID-19, we had to move quickly into home-based learning. And I think it was quite a surprise to many. And initially, there were some feeding issues. Mm-hmm. But I think... What was very heartening was that both students, teachers, parents readily jumped onto it. Our teachers have had some experience uh, using uh, the Singapore uh, SLS system, which is our national e-learning platform for Mm -hmm. students. So actually, many of our students have already been using it. It's just that when you transform uh, and move into full home-based learning, what it means is that you're literally using it every day. So there's a lot more resources that you have to put onto it. And so our teachers actually uh, exchanged information between each other. There were networked communities um, because you had to create resources that were uh, suitable to be put online for the students and actually there are pluses to it because online, there is a lot of interactivity, you can use uh, games, you know, we can also monitor the progress of students. Um, and also we're very grateful that our parents actually also um, were very um, uh, enthusiastic and uh, got on board very quickly because for some of the students who are younger, um, they would probably need a little bit of help from their parents to help them set it up, you know, and just to get them into the routine of things. But I think I think very quickly, um, the students got onto it, you know, um, and it, it was quite um, uh, it was something that I think people got used to. So, this year, when we had um, home based learning from 19th to 28th May, I think this time around it was a lot more smooth going. Um, it, uh, it wasn't like it was a total surprise. Uh, teachers had already had a year's worth of experience. Creating resources and materials that were useful to students. So I thought that, you know, collectively, uh, it was something that I think the teachers, the students, and the parents have gotten used to. And there are really pluses to it, independent learning, for instance.
0: Very nice, very nice. All right, I think you, you spoke a little bit more about parents. I think uh, one of the questions I do have is what are some of the social support measures for children from vulnerable families, all right? For those who do not have digital learning devices at home.
1: Yes, mm. I wanted to share that actually the schools remain open. Okay. Um, because we know that there are some students who may not have the most suitable Home environment for them to embark onto home-based learning. So, uh, for these students, um, the teachers actually uh, ask them to come back to school, right. and the teachers are actually present in school as well to work with them, uh, monitor their progress, uh, and the students can use the computer devices in school. Ooh, okay. uh, so, th- this is to you know to make sure, as we always say, leave no one behind. You know, even in a situation like the circuit breaker or, you know, when we embarked on the home-based learning this year, um, the the teachers uh, paid special attention uh, to these group of students. And also for other students uh, who would still be embarking on home-based learning at home, um, uh, the MOE also ensured that through the schools, we loaned out um, digital learning devices, you know, iPads, and also internet-enabling devices. So if I'm not wrong, we actually loaned out 17,000. Learning devices and about 800 internet enabling devices. Um, This is to make sure that everyone has those digital devices with them so that they can embark on home based learning at home.
0: I personally didn't know that. Very nice. Okay, um, we do have this conversation about mental health. All Mm. right, the next question is about students' mental health Mm. well being, mental well being. So, how are schools and teachers supporting students and youth who may need help coping with their mental health during this pandemic?
1: Mm. Actually, all the while, um, the schools have been paying attention to mental wellness, mm. mental well-being of students. Um, but we recognize that because of COVID-19, there can be additional challenges. You can have additional stresses and tensions at home. You know, uh, parents may be having some difficulties around job employment or because just, just because of the change in lifestyle, you know, just spending more time at home it can create tensions. So our teachers are actually um, even more alert and sensitive to how their young charges are responding. And also in school, we have revised our CCE, which is Character and Citizenship Education Curriculum, uh, to ensure that there is a strong focus on mental well-being on cyber wellness as well. Um, And our teachers follow up with the students because nowadays, you know, many students use WhatsApp, Telegram and all sorts of other social media communication devices. Uh, Our teachers are also on them. Uh, So our teachers actually uh, maintain relationships with uh, with the students, even though they're not physically seeing each other. So the teachers uh, text them, WhatsApp them, you know, just to check how they're doing. And also because over SLS, uh, the learning space, you can also um, see how the children are responding to you. These are all various ways and means that um, the the teachers pay attention and look out for how the children are responding. You know, in a time of uh, COVID-19 where there are various stresses. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Fantastic. All right. So, one of the things that we were talking about today is the vaccination exercise for students, right? So, maybe if you can share a little bit more about the vaccination exercise uh, for students that MOE recently announced and actually started, right? Yes, yes. Mm.
1: Since the 1st of June, uh, progressively, we've been sending out SMSs um, to students and parents um, uh, because for those who are under 18 years old, uh, the parents will receive the text. Mm -hmm. um, And it's basically an invitation. for them to register for vaccination Um, and i'm i'm glad to share that about 87 percent of our eligible students have registered uh, for vaccinations so actually if you have the chance to walk around our community centers many of which are vaccination centers that our students go to uh, you'll see that um, in the past week or so many young people are there you know uh, lining up for their vaccination i've seen videos um, of some of the early birds, you know, to the vaccination, <laughs> and they were really quite excited. <laughs> yes, and they were also. Um- four other centres that were set up for them, uh, at the ITE um, and also at uh, the Convention Centre. Sure. Um, this is to give students further assurance that you know if they want to go for vaccine, uh, vaccination, there are locations that they can go to and be assured that they can get their vaccination on time. I just wanted to add that um, for sped school students, yeah. so students with special needs, yeah. the vaccination exercise will actually start on the 17th of June. Okay. And for them... We actually made a special arrangement to have the vaccination done at their school. Because I think that um, routine and familiarity is important to them. Uh, And I'm very, very glad that um, our teachers are really, really very involved. You know, the teachers want to be there for them. Um, we the MOE conducted two webinars for the parents so that the parents could ask any questions that they might have. Um, some of the parents may be concerned about medical conditions that children may have, and so they would be consulting their own doctors. Um, but I think it's important that we have this exchange and engagement with parents so mm-hmm. that parents can ask questions that they may be concerned about. You know, it, it is after all. An important exercise, you know, to keep the children safe. Um, And I heard that some of the teachers also took videos of what the layout of the vaccination exercise Ah. at the school will look like, and they send it to the parents so that the parents can share with their children that this is how it's going to look like. Do not be afraid. You know, mommy's going to be there, daddy's going to be there, you know, your teacher's going to be there. You can bring your favorite um, book or, or, or some iPad or whatsoever to, you know, to make you feel comfortable and all that. So I think um, the MOE, the teachers, the special school stu- uh, teachers, they're doing really all they can, you know, to give our students that confidence to take uh, the vaccination.
0: That's actually really good to know. I think some people might not know that, so I think that's really nice that you mentioned that. Uh, now, on the other hand, you know mm-hmm. there are some concerns on the vaccine safety for children. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think? I think you said eighty-seven percent, right? Yes. There's still another thirteen percent. You think can yes. parents wait and see uh, before deciding to get their child vaccinated?
1: I, I can understand that sentiment. Mm-hmm. You know, um, well, what I can say is that the HSA and the expert committee. Uh, in Singapore, have looked at uh, the vaccine that's available, you know, at the safety trials that have been conducted uh, for children between twelve to eighteen years old, you know, um, and actually the effects of the vaccination are similar um, uh, for the children in this age group compared to adults. So for Pfizer, you know, it's been approved for use uh, for children between twelve uh, to eighteen years old, you know. So, but I recognise that sentiment. Uh, that parents have. Um, And I just wanted them to know that they can um, consult their doctors, uh, they can ask questions, you know, and um, they can also see for themselves how the vaccination exercise is happening, you know. Um, And we really encourage uh, them to uh, encourage their children to come and do the vaccination because it's really for the safety for everyone, Mm -hmm. really. And we really don't want people to get sick or get seriously ill, Yes um and when we said that uh, children above 12 years old uh, can take the vaccination when the MOE went out with the SMSs it also includes the IHL students so oh. some of the IHL students are obviously older than 18 years old right. you know? so they were also invited to do the exercise Yeah. All right. but since 2 days ago anyway the government has announced that um, those 20 to 39 years old can also you know, register for the vaccination that is me <laughs> uh, oops did uh, you just uh, review your age? <laughs> everybody
0: knows already by this time huh? alright okay I think that's great for the 13% that may be watching this how can can they? How the parents can they register for the register their children for the vaccination? How can they do that?
1: Oh, um, th- when they receive the SMSs, mm-hmm. there is an invitation. Okay, you know, uh, it's an invitation, so they can register at um, whichever location, okay. uh, is convenient for them. You know, um, with the time slots, you know, and uh, of course, we want to and make sure that our parents enter the right information. It's very Mm. important, yeah? It's Mm. an important exercise, you know? And I understand that the parents also go with it. Many of the parents actually go with the children um, to the vaccination centre. I I think it's it's understandable, yeah? So, I mean, so far, it's been um, smooth sailing, fingers crossed, and we really hope it continues uh, as planned. Um, And I think by August, we hope that... um, the majority, the vast majority of our students, almost all our students uh, would be vaccinated by then. Yes.
0: All right. Very nice. Okay. Um, Now, there's some general questions, basically, um, more related to you, I would say. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How are you personally coping with the pandemic and how are you staying connected with your family?
1: Wow. Mm. Thanks for that question. (laughs) Um, I wanted to say that Just now, I've been talking about children above 12 years old. Mm. I have two young children. They are under 12. Okay. Yeah. So, I recognize that parents out there may still be concerned about their children who are not receiving vaccinations because they are under 12, right? Um, That, again, is understandable. I'm a parent myself. I'm a parent of young children. I'm not young myself, (laughs) but my children are young. So I think it's still very important that we make sure that we adhere to safe distancing measures. Mm -hmm. I mean, in preschools, for instance, Mm -hmm. because the children are very young, they're not vaccinated. You know, it's very important that we uh, remind our children, wash their hands, wear your mask, you know, keep a certain safe distance from your friends, you know. And we all know children like to be together. They want to play Mm -hmm. games and, and, you know, but they also learn very quickly. So as long as the adults uh, around them, the parents and the teachers are consistent in our instructions and guidance to them, I'm very sure that they will pay attention to what we say and actually adhere to the rules. So, But as adults, I think we just want to make sure that even if the majority of us are vaccinated by a certain point, if there's still pockets of society such as young children who may currently not be vaccinated, then we really should still continue to make sure that we adhere to SMM measures because we need to make sure that the vulnerable around us are still protected from the virus yeah.
0: all right fantastic any final words for the people out there who are watching this video
1: well I'd like to say <laughs> we're all in this together yes. you know let's stay safe together please stay well be happy you know I think there is a silver lining mm-hmm. in the clouds in anything that we may find ourselves um, you know facing a challenge about so let's Keep our spirits up. Let's stay safe together. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you very much. And with that, we wrap up our little session with Minister of State, Miss Sun Xie Ling. Thank you very much for joining us here today.
1: Thank you. Thank
0: you. See you. Bye. Bye. All right. At this juncture, I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone out there who's watching tonight. Now, we really, really appreciate your support. And again, for those of you who are just joining us for the first time, where have you been? but yes welcome to off the record as always please remember to give us a like and share this video with all your friends and family so more people can catch it now, right now, we are continuing the conversation on the recent rollout of the vaccination exercise age, for students age 12 and up and how effective it is in helping us fight this pandemic. Now, as promised, we do have one more special guest speaking us, speaking to us today, and she is none other than Dr. Chrissy Lim. She's a research fellow in Translational Immunology Institute of Molecular and Cell Biology, IMCB, at ASA. Now, this is where we need your help For those people who are watching i want you guys to this is your opportunity to leave any questions you have about the vaccine and its effectiveness for children so if you're a parent or you have siblings who are in this young age group uh, who are starting to get vaccinated leave them in the comments uh, and our lovely producers behind the scenes will help compile them for me to ask dr lim all right thank you very much for joining us here dr lim
2: Thank you for the privilege. Very happy <laughs> Very to be nice. here.
0: Maybe to get things started, all right. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about what you do and what your research is about?
2: Ah, well, I'm <laughs> a I'm not the kind of doctor that you're used to seeing in the clinic. Okay. I'm a PhD <laughs> doctor. But what that means I do is that I do a lot of lab research. So at A Star, my normal day job is in researching g- often genetic immune deficiencies. Ah. So what what usually happens is that these are patients with rare diseases uh, that you know it's not in any medical textbook. It's doesn't affect a lot of patients, but unfortunately, that also means that the doctors don't have a lot of literature to kind of search and say, "Well, we know how to treat this." Like you know, give a standard medication, and uh, often the you know the disease is very severe and it's very complex. And it's hard to tell what can help the patient. Mm-hmm. So we do the detailed in workup. workout, we're kind of like detectives. <laughs> and we say, well, this pathway or this cell type seems to be really responsible for the disease. Oh. Why not repurpose this existing drug and try to help the patient? The thing is, because these are genetic, a lot of these problems actually arise when the patients are really young. A lot of the patients we kind of coordinate the research with are below the age of three. And so, you know, they're really sick. We would love to help them and their families just, you know, get back to a normal quality of life. So that's sort of my day job. Just losing the immune system, finding out how it works and finding how we can fix broken ones.
0: It sounds like you do so much in a day. <laughs>
2: it's, well, <laughs> It's well, all in a day's work. Very I try nice. to manage my time. And obviously, a lot of the heavy lifting is done by the doctors and the nurses, who, you know, are the ones who are actually seeing the patient, counselling them, going over their options. So we owe a lot to them.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. All right, uh, Dr. Lim, we are speaking a little bit more about the vaccination exercise for children of uh, age 12 and above. Um, My question for you is, what is the hurry to get the teenagers vaccinated so quickly, this age group between 12 to 18? What is the hurry?
2: The hurry is that, Mm. well vaccination, we know that vaccination is going to be our way of getting out of the threat of the pandemic, including not just the health of the individuals vaccinated, but also the community health in terms of preventing transmission, you know, being able to have large events again, being able to send our students to school again, Mm -hmm. and sort of, you know, minimizing the disruption to life that also affects our economy and our well-being in general. So teenagers are indeed, you know, children and teenagers, we uh, have been widely popularized, to be at lower risk of severe COVID and lower risk of death. But on the individual level, they are not at no risk. There has been a significant number of people, of children who, you know, in hard-hit countries like the US and the UK and Canada who have had COVID infections. They have prolonged symptoms as well, like adults. And they can also go on to have long COVID and chronic health issues. And we don't understand all of that yet. So firstly, on the individual level, it actually does protect it does protect younger people. It's it's a myth that it doesn't affect younger people at all. So, you know, firstly, we would like to protect them. But, you know, having that peace of mind as well means that parents can go back to, can let their kids go to, you know, group activities and play, you know, sort of enjoyment activities as well as school with a peace of mind. And we can actually coordinate the students going back to school and, you know, having that sort of having sort of overcoming that conflict that uh Emma talked about where you know it's difficult sometimes when the parents are at home and the students are at home trying to do the home-based learning <laughs> and the stresses of it of course so all of that is important and lastly of course that you know we have very solid data now that the vaccination does reduce transmission mm. so it's important to vaccinate the as many people as you can including the young including the children and the adolescents who are at home with you know, other family members who may be immune compromised, who cannot receive the vaccine for medical reasons, you know, it, it all plays a part in reducing the transmission and the amount of disease that happens both to both to these young people and also to the people that they interact with.
0: Right. OK, great. Now, uh, next question is about <clears throat> the safety or the COVID-19 vaccines. I think uh are the COVID-19 vaccines safe for children aged between twelve to fifteen? I think earlier on the vaccine wasn't approved for this group and suddenly now it is. Are we putting the children at risk? Is there sufficient data or trials done to show this? I think you did mention a little bit about the, the data, right? Uh maybe you can elaborate a little bit more on that.
2: Yes, of course. So the reason why the you know we only started approving it for younger individuals, uh between the ages of 12 and 15 is because mm-hmm. the initial really large trials that Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna and all the other vaccine companies conducted were in individuals 16, age 16 and above. For Moderna, was 18 and above. And this mm-hmm. is actually sort of going with a, going the going going with the precedent of medical research. It's harder to get children to consent to medical research because they need parental you know they need parental consent, and also of course. You know, if it's the first time you're testing a drug, a uh, treatment, you try to aim for the adult, like you try to enroll the adult patients first who can kind of like, you know, give that concept mm-hmm. for themselves. But this is sort of just the standard medical practice. And that was how a lot of these vaccine products started. It, It's sort of like following medical ethics and following tradition. Mm-hmm. But obviously in a global pandemic, it affects everyone. As I just said, younger individuals also get sick. They also get infected. And If we could protect these younger individuals, we would love to as well, but that's why those trials were conducted later. So only after that first big trial showing that the vaccines were safe in adults and effective in adults did they start expanding uh, another trial to include these younger individuals as well. But it was sort of like we have that first pass showing, OK, it's safe and it's efficacious in adults. Let's go into younger age groups now. Um, the reason why 12 to 15 years old was chosen for the Pfizer vaccine, and actually Moderna has their own trial as well. They have just submitted for U.S. emergency approval for 12 to 17. Ah. So we might get that soon, actually. Okay, okay. <laughs> we, you know, that data is there. Uh, they expanded it to ages 12 and above because the immune systems of adolescents from 12 and above are more similar to adult immune systems. Oh,
0: okay.
2: So. The, you know, they recruited a new bunch of, uh, of adolescents who were in this age group, but they didn't have to redo the whole trial with dosing and, you know, going through that whole, the whole phase one, two, and three again, because they just went with the same dose. And that's why it's a little accelerated. But this is because of all the 50 years and, well, many years of research on the immune system. We know how the immune system of adolescents work. Generally, we know that how the immune systems of adults work generally. We know they are similar. And we know this also from other vaccines that they have very similar responses. So we felt, you know, you can do a quick expansion and get that trial done. So these trials were done ma- mainly in the US. Of course, for Pfizer, at Pfizer Biotech, and Moderna, uh, each of them had about three thousand uh, enrolled, mm-hmm. and they found that the true to true to the expectation, the side effect profile is very similar. Right. The efficacy is very similar. Uh, the group that received the vaccines were fully protected against disease, and the placebo group that gets you know your salt injection without the treatment. <laughs> um, some of them had cases. And of course, this is hard to measure because, you know, children and adolescents in general do not have a high rate of disease. But there was very clear evidence that, yes, the vaccine is protecting the people, the you know, the 12 to 15 year olds who are receiving it. So we have really good data on right. the safety. And of course, uh, HSA has gone over that data as well on their own and... Assess it to be safe.
0: Yeah, basically what you're saying is like, it's a due process. It's a process. It takes a while for the process to complete. All right. Uh, very good. We have a next question, which is about people, children with pre-existing conditions. All right. So uh, are there any children who shouldn't be getting the vaccine? Uh, how safe is the vaccine for children who have pre-existing conditions such as asthma or obesity?
2: So most of the pre-existing conditions that might be common in children do not exclude them from the vaccine. Okay. The, these were included in the trials; they have been shown safe to be in these children. So asthma and obesity are fine. Okay, definitely. Uh, what you want to be careful about is if you're if you know you you know if a child has a known allergy to one of the components of the vaccine. That's something that you want to check. Um, and of course, there are some children with medical conditions where they have a severely weakened immune system, for whom the vaccine is probably still safe, but it might not actually create an immune response. And that's sadly, you know, the reality for, actually a lot of the patients that I see in my day job, they can't make antibodies. So, you know, like, uh, so there there are certain groups of children who cannot receive the vaccine or for whom the vaccine will not work, but otherwise for most common conditions, you are eligible. Of course, if you have any doubts, always control your pediatrician. They can give you a lot of advice. So yeah, go for it. Don't worry about existing disease. And if you do have a worry, talk to a doctor.
0: All right. Well, yeah, very good. A good. That's actually good advice. Okay. Um, we do have questions about side effects. And uh, I think everyone who talks about whenever you get a vaccine, they talk about side effects, right? Uh, are the side effects in children similar to those in adults? I think you did mention a little bit more about it. Are there what about the severe allergic reactions, like what are things that people can look out for?
2: So my, I'm not aware so far of severe allergic reaction statistics mm-hmm. for younger individuals in Singapore. I believe the total so far that I last saw was about 20 okay. out of the millions of people were vaccinated.
0: 20 only, okay, right? <laughs>
2: um, do, um, don't quote me on that statistic, but that was okay, the last yeah. one I remember. Right. So it's extremely, extremely rare. And even if it happens, like if you are really unlucky and you're going to the vaccination center and you have that, they should be equipped with EpiPens, ah. which will immediately, um, as far as I know, everyone has been, you know, treated and discharged. No one has to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. There's a very known fix for that. But even then, it's extremely, extremely rare. What is really common is, yes, extremely similar to the adults. You get fatigue. Um, so the children in the trial, they reported fatigue. They reported um slight fever, headaches. So those were the really common ones. Of course, injections like pain as well. But this is very similar to what you see in adults as well. So um, like I said, um, based on our general knowledge of the immune system and everything, it's all expected actually. Mm. So it's working as it should. And I think you might've heard that all these side effects are actually signs of your immune system responding. It's unhappy for a couple of days, but then they resolve. And you can take heed that, you know, if you feel it, that's my comfort anyway. I got, I was personally really tired after my vaccines, <laughs> even though, you know, even though I'm young and, <laughs> well, young-ish. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but then, you know, I knew, yes, it's my immune system working. So that's my own consolation to myself. I wonder if it will help you. All right. But um, yeah, uh, there is some recent, uh, I would like to address, there's some recent headlines about some young males who have received a uh-huh. vaccine ages 18 to 30 yes, who yes. have- uh, reported myocarditis yes. after the second dose of the vaccine. And this has been observed in US, Israel, and Singapore so far. And uh, all the health authorities are taking this very seriously. But again, this, is, this appears to be ultra rare. It's, um, the estimate right now is about one to two per million mm. doses. That's, you know, really low. But all the authorities are looking into it and seeing whether it's a higher incidence with the vaccine or without. Because another thing to take note of with any of these side effects is how do we associate a side effect as cause and effect, right. you know, before the vaccine and after? Because, well, if you took a vaccine and you, you know, sway, you walk out onto the road <laughs> and you get hit by a car. Was it because of the vaccine? Oh, well. <laughs> you know, like, you know, to put it in an extreme way, because like mm. things happen after you get a vaccine, including death for some people, unfortunately, yep. but is it actually linked to the vaccine? Yes. So what you, you know, I just wanted to highlight this because this comes up a lot in my own discussions. Right. When the authorities try to assess whether a certain side effect is associated with a vaccine, they try to compare the stats of, well, in a period of time, we didn't have the vaccines last year. What was the rate of myocarditis? What was the rate of people being hit by cars the minute they walk out? Okay. So, um, so far, the evidence is that it's very similar. There might be a slight increase, but... Uh, The authorities are taking note and they're looking into it. And I would like to remind everyone that normal viral infections and COVID-19 themselves also cause high rates of myocarditis, you know, so... Actually, your vaccination is probably reducing your risk of myocarditis. So that is one thing to think about. There's always a risk of vaccination and there's a risk to not vaccinating. And Mm. the risk of not vaccinating is actually quite a high rate of myocarditis. as also in the same age groups.
0: All right. Actually, for those people who don't know what pericarditis, or myocarditis, just simplify what it means.
2: Um, so myocarditis and pericarditis are inflammation of your heart ah. and inflammation of the tissue that's enveloping your heart. Ah. So I believe the symptoms are things like chest pain, right? Um, slight difficulty breathing. And so far, all the cases that have been reported are about four days after, Okay. like, you know, within four days after the second dose and it resolved, uh, it resolved, it was mild cases and they resolved quickly. So, you know, um, it is not... It sounds really scary, mm. but it actually occurs, again, commonly after viral infections. Uh, it does not appear to be severe. It comes and goes quickly. So please do not be worried about it. But I kind of just want to be transparent that that is being discussed. So I'm bringing course, it up. Of course. of course.
0: All right. Uh, we have a viewer question. It yes. is from Adeline Lau. Uh, it's also about... Um, Side effects as well. Um, how frequent does lymph node swelling not that does not subside happen in vaccinated patients, especially the younger groups? Whoa, this is the first time I'm hearing about this. But
2: okay, have you heard um, of this before? to be honest, I haven't heard of it. Okay. but thank you for the question, Adeline. Mm. Um, I do know that uh, lymph node swelling has been reported at least in the adult trials okay. as a side effect and it's kind of on the rare side of side effects. So one thing I do want to highlight is that you might have heard of lymph nodes sort of in passing. They are these little lumps of tissue that are spread across your body. Mm. Uh, so you have a lot, you know, you have a lot of the nodes just lining your arm, lining your, lining your torso, things like that. And they're actually where your immune cells reside and create that memory response. Ah. So in a way, I never. I'm never surprised when there's a certain side effect of lymph node expansion I because see. it actually means your immune cells are going wild. <laughs> I, I, that, that makes sense. So, to my, rec- you know, to my knowledge, in the adult trials, uh, the lymph node swelling always goes down. Right. And uh, I have never heard of that staying high, and I've also not seen it happen for vaccinations for different age groups prior to COVID nineteen. Yeah. So yeah. I don't think that's a huge worry.
0: Yeah. But maybe if that's a problem you, go, you should go see your doctor. Of course. Yeah.
2: So if you are concerned about any effect that you have after the vaccination, always see your doctor. Yeah. We want to know. We don't want to sweep it under the carpet. We want to investigate everything. Right. And also we want to help you. So <laughs> definitely see your doctor, get the right treatments. Exactly. Please all go right. for it.
0: Very good. Okay, um when it comes to vaccines, all right? Uh of course, I think some parents do have, you know, concerns. Um now we'll the mRNA vaccines, like Pfizer, affect their DNA. No. Okay. No. Nope. Straight up, no. <laughs>
2: <laughs> We've understood mRNA technology for thirty years. We've looked really hard into it. I know it sounds really new and scary for a lot right, of people, and right. it sounds so much like DNA. You've heard of DNA, <laughs> but I realize that not a lot of people have heard of mRNA. So, the way I try to I try to draw this by analogy. Mm. Um, your DNA is like an atlas. Right. It tells you where the places are in the world that you want to go. The mRNA is the sort of like the plane that gets you there. Ah. You get off the plane, it's done. But uh, going back to a more literal sense, the DNA is what lives in your cell forever. It gives the instructions for all your proteins. The mRNA, the reason why it's called mRNA is because it's the messenger. It delivers the message and then it gets degraded. It doesn't go into the DNA. It actually needs, like it does not have the means to go into the DNA. It does not go anywhere near the DNA, which is the nucleus, and we know this, it will not integrate. So please do not worry about that. <laughs> um, so basically the mRNA just tells your body how to make the spike protein and teaches your immune system, hey, this is a bad guy. You know, If you see him again, get rid of him. And then the mRNA disappears. So all the vaccines, even excluding the mRNA, are supposed to you know, get out of your body within a few days, a week. And it's not supposed to stay long-term. It does not have long-term effects. So please do not worry about that.
0: All right, very good. Okay, Um, on that note as well, about vaccine and puberty and growth, will that have any effect, taking the vaccine have any effect on your children's uh, development?
2: I think this is a very common fear for parents. I understand Mm. this. Um, You know, you're kind of worried that you don't know what's going to happen in 10 or 20 years. But again, I want to assure everyone that the mRNA only makes one thing, which is spike protein. The mRNA itself degrades, the spike protein itself degrades, and all you are left with is immune, in a, it's that immune response to the right. spike. It's very specific. So no, it should not cause any changes to growth and puberty. With And don't forget that the type of immune response that is, mediated, that is caused by the vaccines, which you know, creates antibodies, which activates T cells or your immune cells in general, they work exactly the same way as all the other vaccines. It's just a delivery system of mRNA that's new and different. That maybe doesn't sound familiar, but in the end, it's exactly the same type of immune response. So you can kind of extrapolate from past vaccines uh, that are given to children and teenagers, your MMR, your HPV, (gasps) all those things. They haven't changed the puberty of these individuals. They haven't changed fertility. They haven't haven't shown up 30 years later to be associated with something really (laughs) rare. So all the side effects, I just want to reiterate that all the side effects in every known vaccine so far, even the really rare ones, they are... They are picked up usually within the first week of after your vaccination. Even the ultra ultra rare ones have been picked up in a month, which is why all the trials, all the safety trials, were monitored for at least three months before any any health authority would give an approval. So we've all taken that into account, and not just drawing on our new knowledge of these mRNA vaccines, but our knowledge of the immune system and our knowledge of how vaccines generally work.
0: All right, we've got another viewer question here from Doreen Fan. Uh, Now, I think you might have addressed this, but maybe you can... Reiterate some points here. It's been reported before that children are the lowest risk of uh, COVID nineteen. Should we wait for more data to be released about these vaccines in children before going for the jab? I think you mentioned a little bit more about it. Maybe you want to reiterate this point, for Of Ms. course, it's, I mean, it's,
2: you know, I, I I'm aware that people are kind of coming into the stream as well. Yeah. So yeah. I'm very happy to reiterate this. So low risk is not no risk. It is true that children, teenagers, adolescents don't really get. Uh, as high an infection rate. Mm. Um, They don't get as much severe disease and they're at much lower risk of dying. But it is a myth that no one, like it is a myth that this age group does not die. It is a myth that this age group does not have hospitalizations. And I'm saying this in Singapore where we are really lucky that we haven't, you know, the reason why a lot of people don't know this is because it hasn't happened to our kids. But if you asked a lot of pediatricians in a lot of other countries with lots of cases, they are all, for vaccinating children because of that, because even one case is too much. So, children can get severe COVID if they're really unlucky. They, I think the current estimate of the rate of hospitalization for children is about 10%, which is small, which is a lot lower than your elderly family members. But it's not, if you're a part of the 10%, that's really unlucky. And some of them also experience prolonged symptoms. We don't have full numbers, but we do know that it happens. So, it would be great to protect them from that and just have that peace of mind that, you know, your child is no longer at risk, all of that. We have done the safety trials for the 12, 12 years and above. We have found that the safety profile is very similar to adults including the side effect profile so um, we have you know, the new data and we also have reasons why we should you know, why ideally it's a better decision to vaccinate adolescents than right. it is to let them run unvaccinated. The uh, I also want to repeat that Children and adolescents are definitely vectors. They are known to be a large source of transmission to other environments. So schools, tuition centers um, that have been sources of clusters they bring the virus home. So even if they don't get sick, what if they pass it on to someone else who cannot get vaccinated because of a weakened immune system? So those are all important considerations, not just for the children, but also the community. So I would encourage people to Get the vaccination that is available to them soon. Have that peace of mind go on with life.
0: Very nice. All right. Just a couple more questions. Uh, Will delayed doses affect protection against COVID-19? No.
2: No. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is again, uh, we now have data to show this. So um, the UK was actually the first country to practice this extended dosing right. without any data. That was a very controversial move, but they, the good thing is they did the research on whether that creates the right antibodies. Ah. And they have shown that, you know, in some cases actually it's a higher, like it's higher signs of protection than the standard three week So, ah. But this is also in line with what we know about the immune system for most vaccines. If you give the two doses too soon, it's less ideal, but if you extend it out, it's it usually doesn't harm the strength of the immune response. I see. The, So the concern is more that in that you know in the gap between your first and second dose, you're only going to get partial protection, especially against the beta and delta variants. So mm. the second dose is really important for mounting the full response to both of those variants, especially. Uh, so please get your second dose. <laughs> but, uh, don't be put off by the side effects because right. COVID is so much worse. Yeah. But um. So in between, you still want to be careful, but it will slightly reduce your chance. You know, there's that partial protection, but it's not complete. But as long as you get your second dose, you're going to get your full protection. I see. So I think that's a very valid question, really. And I just wanted to address that.
0: Very nice. I think this is the final question I have um, and is related to our conversation today about children getting vaccinated. Why are we starting at 12 years old? Is there future vaccination for children under 12?
2: That is a wonderful question. <laughs> uh, as I said before, um, in answering one of the earlier questions, uh, we extended the well, the safety trials, not we, but the people who conducted safety trials uh, went down to the age of 12 mainly because we know from our immunological knowledge that the immune system of this age group from 12 to 16, 12 to 18, it's similar enough to what you see in adults above the age of 16 or 18, that you can probably extrapolate a lot of the same uh, the same dose, the same reactogenicity, well, the same side effects and the same efficacy. And this is also what we found in the studies. But we also know from our past research on the immune system that the developmental stage of the immune system below the age of 12 is different. Right. So for example, you have a certain, you have a different composition of certain immune cells that are either going to be responding more readily or responding less readily. Mm. And so the trials that, so Pfizer and Moderna have both um, started their pediatric trials for six months of age to 11 years of age. And unfortunately they have, well, they have had to go back to the drawing board I would not say it's unfortunate because they're doing the right thing and they have changed the doses. So they've started, by starting the trials, they didn't go straight to the safety and efficacy. They've gone back and said, um, well, let's try to give a lower dose mm. to these children than we would to adults. Because obviously not only are they you know, smaller, they have a different set of immune cells. We might not need to give as much or we might not need to give the same dose. We don't know. So that's going to take a while. Uh, we probably won't have a child vaccine for some time, mm-hmm. but that's one of the considerations that went into why we don't have vaccinations for children under that age. Right. And obviously, as Moesun said, I think there are there is a subset of parents who are worried that, well, I can't vaccinate my young children. But I also want to bring them out and bring, you know, bring them out to play, see their family members. Um, So that is another reason why everyone else should get vaccinated, Mm. (laughs) because these children are not going to be eligible for a while. But also those trials are ongoing and we hope that there will be an option for them soon.
0: All right. Yeah, I mean, I have nephews, so I'm definitely getting vaccinated when it's my turn. All right. Uh, I I lied when I said that was the last question. There is one final question. Please go for it. It's a fun question. Um, it is someone. Fr- it is something from the viewer. It's from Abigail Chloe Chu. Hi, there's been a TikTok trend going around called the vaccination arm swing. <laughs> I've seen this. Apparently, if you swing your arm around, it's supposed to help the vaccine spread around your body faster. And many Gen Z kids are doing it. Now, I'm re- I'm laughing at this question. But it is, is a amazing. good question. It is a good question. I've seen it all
2: over TikTok, right? I'm too old for TikToks. <laughs> it's okay. Well,
0: you probably have seen some people swinging their arms around, maybe at the vaccination centers. I don't know. Uh, is there a legit science behind this?
2: No. <laughs> don't forget. Don't forget that everything transports in your body by blood. Right. That's what blood pressure is for. <laughs> and no matter how hard you swing your arm, it's not going to it's not going to help your blood pressure along. Your your body is amazing. It does that on its own. All right. So don't worry about it. But if it's fun, do it, you know? Do a little <laughs> celebration dance. There you go. There you have it. All right. It, is I, it doesn't dance. harm you. It probably right. doesn't help. But if right. it's fun, do it.
0: There you go. For the TikTok <laughs> video, that's about it. <laughs> doesn't have any science behind it.
2: That's amazing. Thank you, Abigail.
0: Yes. All right. Uh, I believe that is it. Okay, I think before we wrap it all up, any final words for everyone tuning in, Dr. Lim?
2: Well, thank you very much for (laughs) listening. Um, This has been a great pleasure and an honor. I know that the past one and a half years have been really tough for Singaporeans and, you know, it's been stressful. I think we're all burnt out. We're all tired. We're living kind of in a climate of fear and the news is just bad every day. So one thing is, um, I know it's kind of scary if you have a new vaccine and you don't quite understand it, but we are doing our best. HSA is doing our best to assess the safety and the you know suitability for singaporeans uh please uh, <laughs> please please be assured that we look into all the things it's as transparent as possible And another thing is um, try to keep calm, help the vaccination effort is the way we will get out of this. But in the meantime, of course, as I reiterate, there are going to be populations of people Mm -hmm. who cannot get vaccinated for very for very legitimate reasons. They they are going to need our herd immunity. So but in the meantime, we're still going to distance. We're still going to mask up. I'm still distancing and masking up off off screen. And um, we're going to get through this. I'm very heartened by the uptake of uh, the statistics for the uptake of the vaccination among students since Ooh. it opened. Um, I think I saw ninety oh, percent on on one of the yeah on one of the articles when it first opened. Right, uh, it was amazing, and I'm thank you so much, students, for doing that. I know it's also been a really hard year for you, so thank you for stepping up. I'm really I'm really grateful, and I think with, you know, hung on this long and. It's unfortunate every time we have a case, but I think we've been very we've been very disciplined. We've tried our best mm-hmm. to bring it down and I want you guys to hang in there. We're all hanging in there as well. So thank you very much.
0: Awesome. That's great final words from Dr. Lim. And with that we have come to the end of today's episode of Off the Record. Uh, thank you very much to our guest, Minister of State, Ms. Sun Shue Ling, as well as Dr. Chrissy Lim for being on the show with us. Now, and of course, thank you very much to you guys out there for tuning in. We hope we managed to address all of your questions tonight. Now, we will be back again next Saturday at 8pm. So do join us again then because I'll be interviewing... Minister Lawrence Wong. So, you guys will definitely want to have to tune in for that. And until next week, goodbye.
1: Thank you. Bye bye.